Hey, uh, we're going to continue this morning um, in our series that we started a couple weeks ago called Evidence of Grace. And uh, as we begin, um, hear, hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who hold back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. And if we jump to the New Testament in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says this, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. See, last, the last two weeks as we began this, this series called Evidence of Grace, trying to be intentional about just recognizing the beauty that's all around us. That's already there. I mean, we, it's, it's there, but do we bother to see it? We started by focusing on just being grateful. We started talking about gratitude and and hopefully you've you got your gratitude journal and you're still, you're still daily just making note of all the things that God has, has shown Himself to be so good to you in your own life. But today we're going we're gonna to turn the page just a little bit. Okay, I'm not saying don't be grateful and, and keep writing in your journals, but, but I want to take it a step further. Because if gratitude stops with you, then how grateful are you, really? I mean, if it's all about you just receiving and then it stops with you, that's not really the point of the gospel. And so, if gratitude runs its natural course, if, if gratitude does what it's supposed to do in you, it doesn't stop with you. It flows through you to other people. That's not my opinion. That is the hope of the gospel. See, one of our we will statements, uh, it's written on, on the little tablecloth thingy out there in the foyer when you walk in today. It's, it says this, we will be a church marked by extravagant generosity. Um, back in 1998, we did a, a series called We Will 2.0 because we, we had some statements and then we changed a few, and then we added a few, and this one was one of the new ones. And uh, I had the privilege of introducing it to our church on September the 30th, 2018. Okay? I went back and watched that sermon this week. I was rocking it that day. If I'm being honest, I was on my game. It, there was good stuff. I would highly encourage you to go back and watch that sermon. Um, as you do, realize this. This was, this was um, before Ed Blumberg was on our staff. And so there's one camera stationary in the back. It's kind of blurry. There's a much younger version of me preaching. A bunch of kids on the stage. I talked about almost pooping myself in the Waggles parking lot. So, okay, so all of that's a part of that sermon. All real, okay? But the point of that sermon was really... I had, a lot, I had some statistics like of average median income 
of Knox County families and, and talked about if, if we really gave based on what we made to the church, then the church would, would the budget would not be a problem. Okay, there was a lot of that in there, okay? That's kind of dry, but I thought I did a pretty good job with it, okay? That's not what I'm going to talk about today. I want to talk about generosity that's not institutional. It's not um, based on keeping the law, but it's about letting love flow through you. Would that be okay? That, that's, that's, my, that's my goal today. It's not that any of the stuff that I talked about back then was, was bad, but we were at one place then and we're in a different place now. Guys, can I just tell you that in the midst of a pandemic, I've seen generosity well up in the church in ways that I hadn't seen in 20 years of being here. And I'm talking about not just from one person. It's like a wave of generosity of people just choosing to bless people in ways that's just been beautiful. I've seen a culture of goodness rise up in ways that um, hasn't always been that way. And it's worth celebrating because it screams to the goodness of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we would be called the children of God. See how the love that He lavished... See, lavish is a word. It's one of my favorite words. It's not a word I use a lot, but it's one of my favorite words because it screams more. More than you could ever ask for or imagine or expect. That's how God loves you. How many of you have a mirror? Y'all have a mirror. Just making sure I'm not here by myself. Do y'all have mirrors out there? We have this really cool mirror in our house now that talks back to you. Dave Kennedy gave it to me. It's really cool. It's totally not the point of the story. When you see yourself in the mirror and you know the worst parts of you, and you see them looking back at you in the mirror, I want you to have this thought. How great the love that God has lavished upon you on your worst day, that you might be called a son or a daughter of God. Never, ever, ever get over that. See, that's a God-sized love. That's a John 3.16 kind of love. That's a for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have life. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full, not just survive until you die. That's a lavishing kind of love. That's how God loves you today. Even if you hate yourself, that's how God loves you today. See, I see back when, when, I, when I preached that sermon on September 30th, 2018, the church was in a different place than it is today. There were a lot more people here. But I think that there was a lot less kingdom advancing. And that's worth celebrating. See, I've seen a culture of goodness in our church for a long time when it comes to mission work. You know, when it comes to like the work, the work that we do in Haiti. Gosh, it's just... Day before yesterday, we as a church had the privilege of sending down money to buy 900 blocks for a, for a young family as a wedding gift because they're, they're, they're wanting to get married but they have to have a house before they get married. And so, so we said,
money down to Enriquez Le Riche, who happens to be Valencia's brother. And he sent me this long text just about the grace and the goodness of God. Last week, I got to send money. And I get to do all the cool stuff because I'm a professional Christian. See, that's how it works. Just kidding. I got to send money to Cambodia. Um, a couple of years ago, Kayla went to Cambodia and Thailand for a couple of months. And you guys heard me whine about it the whole time she was gone. Right? But she, she came back. But as a part of that, David's wife, Annie, is from Cambodia. And it, it sparked something in her. And we started being able to help a little church in Cambodia. And last, last week I got a text from Annie saying, hey, there's a, little, there's a girl there that wants to be a youth pastor, but she needs to go to school and she doesn't have any money to go to school. So we got to, to, to send money down to, to let her go to school so she can minister. And, and then we get pictures of 30 new believers at this, at this little church. We're like, the kingdom is advancing. There's a, there's a pastor and his wife in Nicaragua that Cody and Kenzie are just, it's the Blanca and her husband just, what's his name? Misael? He went blind. Needed a cornea transplant. And through the generosity of some people here and all over the place, dude can see again. That's beautiful stuff. It's a culture of goodness. But until recently, it was like, it was there, but not so much here. Guys, since the pandemic started, I don't think there's a week that goes by that Steve Turner doesn't come by the office to pick up gift cards to take to give to fast food workers or whoever needs them. And the money for that stuff just keeps showing up. And there are people, thousands of people, in this, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, thousands of people have been served by a food pantry that was just birthed in the last six months or so. It's like, when goodness is the culture, you don't have to convince people to give to it. Our church, as far as giving goes, has never been healthier in the history of the time I've been here. And there are less people here. It's a culture of goodness, and it's not about me or Brock or anyone on our staff. It's about the goodness of God. Just leaning into generosity. God's blessed us. We're going to let it flow through us. For a long time, um, we would get phone calls at the church office from people, and we still do. Phone calls from people saying, hey, can you help with the light bill? We got to, you know, we, can you help with this? Can you help with that? And for the longest time, this was the stock answer. This is what you had to say because there was no money for this thing. I'm sorry, we don't have a program set up for that. We don't have a program set up for that. And that was the way to get out of the conversation. Okay? Awful. Not the kingdom at all. There doesn't need to be a program set up for that if you believe in the same Jesus that the Bible talks about. Pretty much every week at staff meeting, now this, this question comes up, who can we bless this week? Who, who needs a touch from Jesus this week? Who needs to be encouraged? What can we do? It doesn't have to be a ton of... It just 
intentionality. There's a culture. God's doing something. It's not perfect. But it's not what it was. And I'm grateful. You know why I'm grateful? Because of what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. 1 John 3, not John 3, 16, but 1 John 3, 16, because this is what the Word says. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how can... How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's not okay for us to receive the blessings of God and just let it stop there. Gratitude, when it works its way through us, should end up in generosity pouring out on other people. And don't hear me say, I'm not saying, hey, give more to the church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the gospel means that God so loved you. He lavished love on you so that it doesn't stop with you. It goes through you to other people. It started with Abraham. You know Father Abraham? Remember him? God said, I'm going to bless you so that you might be a blessing. It's the mission of the church. And it's happening but we can do so much better. I read a book um, in the last year called Irresistible by Andy Stanley. I would highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. It challenged me to unlearn a lot of things that I thought I knew. And I still, I'm still wrestling with some of it. I mean, it, I mean it's, it's an easy read but it's, a, it's hard to change the way you think. But I would encourage, highly encourage you to read it, to struggle through it, to embrace it, and just ask the question, does this paint an accurate picture of the heart of Jesus? Because I think it does. And in that book, Andy Stanley, not Charles Stanley, that's Papa Stanley, this is, this is baby boy Stanley, he says this, he asks this question, what does love require of me? In any situation... Any interaction with a person, another image bearer of God, somebody that's created in the image of God that you come face to face with, whether you wanted to or not, the question really should be, if you're going to be obedient to the Spirit, is this, what does love require of me in this situation? The love of Jesus that was lavished upon me, that made me be able to be called a child of God, what does that love require of me in this situation? And if we just answer that question and we answer it, in the same way that the heart of Jesus would answer it, a lot of the stuff that we worry about, argue about, fight about, would go away. It wouldn't be an issue. What does love require of me? Trivia question. Who wrote the book of 1 John? John. I mean, who is your pastor? Do we not teach the Bible here? 1 John was written by John, okay? Who wrote the book of John? You're getting better at this, okay? John, the same John, wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, a little later in the book, 
he gives us some instruction in verses 19 through 23. I want to I look at it because I think sometimes we, we make things more complicated than they need to be. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 23 say this. By this shall we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is just basically saying, hey, God likes you. He loves you. He's for you. Have confidence before Him. Your heart's not condemning you because God's greater than that. Okay? And then, this is the part I wanted to get to. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Oh, no. See, that's, that's where it gets hard, right? we got to keep His commandments? Like, all those commandments? Like, all, like that's what it takes to please Him? Okay. But then look at verse 23. And this is His commandment. This is his, Jesus' commandment. Number one, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's, I mean, that's the essence of Christianity, right? We believe in Jesus. And, number two, love one another just as He has commanded us. Two things. Believe in Jesus and love one another the way that He commanded us to. John, 1 John, the other John, same John, John 13, 34. John was the, the beloved disciple, the one that laid his head on Jesus' chest. He's eyewitness account to what Jesus said when Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Just as I've loved you, love one another. By this, the whole world will know you're my disciples. It's that simple. All the other stuff he's taken care of. Guys, if we just let the lavish love of God flow through us to other people, how much simpler does the gospel get? Jesus gave us some practical examples of, of what it looks like to live like this. Or as Mater said in Cars, or to not to. Okay? We can live like this, or we can choose to not to. Okay? Look at Luke chapter 12. We're going to spend the few minutes we have left looking at, the, at this passage. Luke chapter 12. Are you okay? Are we okay? Y'all got big plans for lunch or anything? I do but I was just wondering if you did. I'm not going to mention what it is, but it has to do with baby coal. Anyway, here we go. Luke chapter 12 starts this way. Jesus is talking to a thousand people, thousands of people, without a microphone. Cody talked about God talking in a whisper. Can you imagine being in a group of a thousand people just trying to hear what Jesus is saying? And so... Luke 12, he starts, he's, he's preaching, he's talking about pretty heavy kingdom stuff. In the beginning of the chapter, he's talking about, don't be a hypocrite, hypocrisy. And then, then, he, then he goes on and he's, he's talking about fear of persecution. Like, don't fear what men can do to you. It's, that's, God is, is bigger than that. And, and then he talks to them about working working the kingdom into their every, everyday life. And so he's in the middle of this sermon. Like, picture it right now. 
It's like, if, if Jesus is actually up here talking, and there's a lot more people here, and he's saying things that are much more important than what I'm saying right now, okay? And then someone interrupts him. A guy in the middle of the sermon gets up and says, Hey, Jesus, can you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? And like Jesus is like, Really? And he says to him, hey, who made me arbiter between you two? And the, the funny thing is that I guess if anybody should be, Jesus would be that. But he, he, he wasn't taking that role at that moment. And he basically dismisses the guy who interrupts his sermon. And he says to, the, to everybody else, hey, be on your guard. Don't act like this guy. He says, be on your guard against all covetousness. You know what covetousness is? Greed. Wanting what somebody else had. See, the brother evidently was in charge of the inheritance. This guy thought, the best thing I can say to Jesus right now is, hey, can you make this about me? Can you tell my brother that this should be about me? And Jesus says to everybody that's listening, thousands of people, hey, be on your guard. Don't be like that. And then... He tells them a story. Ken Geyer in his book, um, Moments with the Savior, talking about this passage, had this quote, which I thought it's worth writing down. It says this, life, period. Life, period. It is about more than what is necessary to sustain it. Life is about more than what's necessary to sustain it. It's like the stuff we obsess about to just keep the, keep the machine going. That's not what life is. Life's about more than that. And Jesus tells this story. It's a story about a fictional person. That's what a parable is. Okay, this guy didn't exist. Jesus tells this story about a rich fool. Luke 12, verse 16, that's where it starts. Got to get back there. Luke 12, 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich towards God. Two things I want to draw out of that passage for you, okay? The first one is this. And I, Brock and I were at setup yesterday, and we were talking about this. And, and he said this, because he'd been studying the same passage. And he said this. He said, Maintenance is the enemy of mission. Maintenance is the enemy of ministry. Like if you got so much stuff that all you're doing is trying to maintain your little kingdom, keep all your toys working, keep them organized, then you're probably not thinking about the kingdom the way that you probably should be. Or maybe you once did. 
When life gets so complicated, when you've accumulated so much stuff that you're trying to maintain it more than you're letting stuff flow through you, then we have a problem. It's the American way, by the way. Right? I mean, that's, that's what... I mean, that's success in this country, right? But it's not the kingdom economy. See, it's not that the barns were bad. They were necessary. But was it necessary to tear them down and build bigger ones for selfish motivations? So here's my question as we close the first point here. Is there anything in your life you've invited in that's taken your eyes off of the kingdom? That you're so consumed with maintaining or, or building that you don't have time to think about things that really matter. If that's the case, you can still do something about that. You can still do something about that. The second thing I want to draw out of this is how selfish this guy was. Okay, I'm going to read this again. I'm going to read the passage again, okay? And so I'm, every time I say the word, and I'm just reading, these are not my words. Every time I say the word I, me, my, I want you to go whoop, okay? Can we practice? Whoop, okay? So I'm going to do this. I, hey, there is going to be a class participation grade in heaven, okay? I, I, want, I need to hear whoop every time I hear it, okay? I want you to, to see, because it's, it's amazing. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Are we ready? And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. This is weak. Come on. There are people watching all over the world. Hey, are you doing this at home, people? Whoop. Okay, I'm starting again. Okay, are you, are you ready? What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. Are you keeping up? And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Guys, is it possible that this guy lost perspective to the point that all he saw was I, me, and my. Keep it coming. You're finally catching on. Finally catching on. See, this is my fear. When we go before God and all we want to do is talk about I, me, and my, God has every opportunity to just turn the table and say, okay, let's talk about you. You don't want that conversation. This story is not about you. He didn't... You, this guy's fictional. I already said that. It's a parable. But in this little fictional world where this guy lived, you think he had neighbors that maybe had needs? And you don't hear anything in this guy's heart about taking care of anyone else. It's just about bigger barns for me. For my, I'll say to my soul, guys, it's possible that we can buy into that kind of thinking and become self-absorbed to the point that we think everything we have, oh, I deserve this. I need to, I need to find ways to, 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 to protect it all rather than just letting it flow through us to people who actually need it.
one of the things I love about, about the way Jesus lived is that He was always walking slowly through the world. And He had a mission, but His journey was such that He didn't miss the people that were right in front of Him. If you read in Luke chapter 8, there's a story about Jairus who had a sick daughter. And he comes to Jesus. And he says, hey, can you heal my daughter? And, and Jesus basically says, yeah, I, I, I will. And so, but on his way, there was a throng of people. And one of those people was a woman with an issue of blood. And, and she, she reached out and she touched Jesus. And he healed her. That wasn't the, his primary mission right there. He had told Jairus, I'm going to your house. But this woman was right there. See, I don't know what's on your, your day planner or your phone or whatever you use to plan your day, but if you're like me, I can get really focused on what, what I think I'm supposed to do that day. And everything else that interrupts that, it's just that it's an interruption. See, Jesus saw people as opportunities, not interruptions. Because the most important thing that you might do today might not be on your calendar. It might be that person you bump into by chance that you see at the grocery store, that you see at Woggles. That, that it could be anything. But if we're so focused on the end goal of the day that we miss the people right in front of us, then we miss the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I said this uh, a year or so ago. And I don't say many things that are smart. And so when I do, I try to remember them. You're thinking, you give yourself too much credit. I know, I know. I said this a year or so ago that, that God made you to be pipes, not ponds. He made you to be, to be pipes, things that are conduits for things to flow through, not a collection agency. See, ponds are kind of gross. I love them on the golf course when my ball doesn't land there, right? I mean, it's beautiful, but if you go to the bottom of it, it's like nasty, gross. There's stuff growing in it that you don't want to be there. God didn't make you to be something that just collects things. Things get stagnant in there. Things grow in there that were never meant to grow inside of you. But pipes, when they work right, they keep things kind of fresh. Now, I've had some plumbing issues at my house lately. I've had a lot of issues at my house. We've talked about that before. But recently, I mean, we've had a, we've had a bathroom, a bathtub drain that just doesn't drain well. It drains a little bit, but it's, it's nasty all the time. I cannot get the thing cleaned out. And so then we had a toilet that kind of went bad too. And so it finally, shout out to Kenny Ford Plumbing. Kenny, if you're watching, thank you. He finally showed up at my house, fixed this stuff. But he had to cut out a piece of the pipe under that tub. And he showed me what was inside that pipe. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't see light through this thing. It's like the pipe is this big and it's totally corroded with stuff. Guys, even when we recognize ourselves as pipes, if we let stuff collect in us to the point that we, stuff doesn't flow through us, it's not healthy. It wasn't healthy for my house. Everything in my house kind of came to a screeching halt when, when the plumbing stopped working, right? 
It's the same in your life. Even if you recognize that, okay, things are supposed to flow through me. If they're not flowing through you, then maybe it's time to cut that part of the pipe out, right? Maybe it's time to, to start being intentionally generous, looking at things in your life that you don't really need, but somebody else might. Guys, that is the simplistic way of looking at the gospel. How do we keep from ending up like the rich fool? Because you don't want to be that guy, right? You don't want to end up at the end of your life with a big old barn and somebody else enjoying all the stuff. If you do, have a bigger goal. How do we keep from ending up like this guy? Jesus tells us, starting in verse 22, he had been talking to thousands of people, right? This guy interrupts him. He tells the story about the rich fool. Then it says, and he turns to his disciples, the ones who really wanted to follow him, not the masses, because they're not going to get it. So you have to decide right now, do you want to follow the way of Jesus? If you do, this is how you live. The instruction of Jesus says this, therefore, he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They, neither, they have neither a storehouse nor a barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you're supposed to eat or drink. Don't be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Instead of doing that, seek His kingdom. What's His kingdom? His kingdom is advancing that lavish love of God. Making sure that people... You know that we talked about it before, that fragrant aroma of Jesus? That, that you don't have to explain. You know how people get that? By you just letting the love that God's lavished on you, flow through you towards them. Not by giving X percent to, to the church. Just by being a person marked by extravagant generosity because God lavished His love on you. Verse 32 is where the cheese really gets kind of binding. I really don't know what that means, but I've heard that my whole life. It doesn't sound comfortable. Verse 32 if you really want to take this seriously, fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You've been given a kingdom. Tommy Melhorn, you have a kingdom, man. You, it's, you didn't earn it. It was God's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. You're all heirs to a kingdom. Because of that, Jesus says, so, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. 
Provide yourselves money bags that don't grow old, with treasure in heavens that do not fail. No thief approaches, no moth destroys. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. See, it's, it's the location of your heart that really matters. And if your heart is with stuff, I've only preached this one time where I think somebody actually did this. It was a, it was a young guy. He's probably maybe 18, 19 years old. His name was Brock Tharp. I was doing a Bible study at Cornerstone Fellowship way back in the day on a Wednesday night. Um, preached this, this passage. And this big old guy with this really deep voice I really didn't know came up to me after and says, well, I'm going to do that. And he had a PlayStation or something like that that he had. And so he went and sold it and sold all the games and gave it all away. And I'm thinking, it can happen. Like somebody actually listened and actually did it. Guys, if we embraced this, how much would our lives be different? If we, if we really just wanted generosity to be what marked our lives, not accumulation, how much different would the kingdom look in this place? I see evidence of it. I've seen, I mean, in the midst of a pandemic, I've seen generosity well up in people like I've never seen before. And it's beautiful, but I think it's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's so, what if? What if we just started taking seriously the words of Jesus? In my Bible, there's, there's sections. Do you, does your Bible have sections? Like, like titles over like paragraphs? Like, so in my Bible right here, it starts, verse 13 says the parable of the rich fool. And then over verse 22, it says don't be anxious. And then when you get down to right after what I just read, it says you must be ready. But it's just the next verse. You know, that's not really part of the Bible. That's just like somebody trying to make it easier for you to, to read it. But what if we kept reading right here? Because this is not a one and done thing. It's not like I'm saying, go do this one time. And that's not what the Bible says. Because if we go on to verse 35, it says this. Stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. The master is Jesus. He's coming back. And the words of Jesus say, hey, stay dressed, stay ready for action. Keep doing this. Keep living like this. Because you never know when the master's coming home. I, for one, pray it soon. I mean, after I have lunch with baby Cole today, then he can come on. Okay? I mean, just come on. That's everything I've wanted to accomplish in life, I've already done. Except see Jesus. Will he find us faithful? When he, when, he, when he returns, he's coming back. Generosity. Evidence of grace. Is it in your life? Is it flowing through you? If it's not, you're still breathing, right? Breathe in, breathe in grace. Start breathing out gratitude. Let it flow into generosity. Let the things that God's loved you enough to bless you with, don't let them stop with you. Let it flow through you. 
and see if it doesn't get a lot simpler. See if it doesn't just get simpler to live out this gospel thing when you, you're just not holding. I mean, be like 38 Special. Hold on loosely, okay? Hold on loosely. Don't, don't hold on to stuff and strangle the life out of it. Let it go. And see if you don't find life in that. Pray with me. Father, um, I think we make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. You are our provider. You're the, every, the word says every good and perfect gift comes down from you. Let us be the kind of people that let those gifts flow through us to the people around us. People that, that desperately need to know that there's hope. That there's more, more to, the, to this church thing than just a bunch of words and a bunch of songs. Let us not be those people that just, just love in word, and de- but we, we, we love with our deeds, with our actions. I thank you for the signs of grace that I see all around me. The evidence is undeniable. I pray that more people would want to wade into those waters and experience them. I pray for a tidal wave of generosity to just wash over this place. And the people might be drawn to the kingdom because of it. And that's my prayer. Let's worship in response to the word.